Let's go, JKL community. I'm your host, Justin, aka Just Tries, and we're back talking vulnerability, learning, and growth mindset. We really want to hear more from you, the community, about your goals because we have our own goal to help millions of people be lifelong learners and achieve your big dreams. So reach out at Just Keep Learning and let us know what you're up to. Our guest today is a beautiful, creative, and kind soul. It's no wonder his number one advice in life is to remember that it's all one love. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, but living in LA with heritage from Jamaica, he has all the upbringing and cultural experience to be the well-rounded musician, dancer, and entrepreneur that he is. We talked about becoming a professional dancer, working in music videos, why he decided to drop his own music instead of only working for other musicians, and his thoughts about life and learning. He is a man of great values and even though he's gone through some adversity in the last while, he took the time to create this episode together and for that, I'm grateful. Please welcome to episode 22, Blaca di Danza. So first off, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show. I love this first question. We all do so many creative things out there in the world that it's fun to just hear people say, you know, if you introduced yourself to somebody, who are you and what do you do? Okay, so my name is Black and a Dancer. I'm a dancehall dancer, choreographer, artist, and actor. And I have spent the past 20 years of my life traveling, um, teaching, dancing to dancehall music, uh, teaching people how to dance uh, and I spent the past five years uh, making music and this entire lifetime is just about pushing my culture forward in whichever creative avenues I can find. And there's so many of those in terms of like all the different things that you do from choreography to dance, even some acting, certainly being in music videos, entrepreneurship, you know, from what I can see, you've gotten into a lot. So there's so many different things. Uh, How do you find the ability to juggle them all? When you love what you do, the juggle it's not easier. It makes you want to do it. It's not that, okay, cool. When you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work or uh, when you have a million things going, there's some secret strategy. No, like it, it's 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 tough, you know what I mean? But when you actually care about it, then you're willing to continue roughing it out. You know what I mean? It's, it's bigger than me. I'm here for a purpose that's bigger than me. I am here uh, through a culture that is, is lovely from Jamaica. And I have to always think that when you're representing a culture and you are, are loving a culture, uh, you're doing any action to any moves to show the world that this culture is beautiful then it has to be bigger than you all right so when the mission is bigger than you you got to keep going I love that. Do you put that sort of like in a mission statement or do you have a favorite quote that kind of comes to mind like if you explain what that bigger than you mission is how would you put it into words I mean just like that you know I don't I don't have a mission statement I don't have these things written down um as far as what I just said to you <laughs> how I, I would put that into words for a listener honestly I would just remind people that we're all here and we're all human and we're all on this planet right now so when I say these words bigger than us it's not saying to ignore yourself it's saying that this world is working through us and we all are here together so when it's bigger than you what I'm doing through my actions affects everyone else as everyone else's actions can affect me. So having that intention in mind attached to your passion to make sure that that allows you to stay consistent. When you brought up the idea of the Jamaican culture, I'm curious, like, are there values, things that you would say that you borrow and learned from that culture that you could put into like words or like, how do you describe what that culture means to you? One love. 
<laughs> I love it. That's so good. This is uh, that's already come full circle, and it could be like a three minute in mic drop. I'm curious to take us back a little bit. I know we'll definitely talk about dance. We'll talk about business. You know, all those sorts of things. But I always love going a little bit back in the journey and understanding how it started for you as like a young child, and then growing to where you are now, and all that you've accomplished. So many things happened that we could record a 10 hour episode no doubt (laughs) but if you could take us back to like little black and just getting into things like dance or business or learning what was the journey from beginning to end so people kind of have a bit of that documentary mindset to to how you got here Uh, Well, I was born in Brooklyn, New York City. And when you live in Brooklyn, New York City, you are surrounded by the Caribbean. Whether or not your family is of Caribbean descent, you are surrounded by Haitian culture, you're surrounded by Jamaican culture, you're surrounded by Trinidadian culture, by Bayesian culture, by Grenadian culture, uh, on Flatbush and Crown Heights, the food, you smell it everywhere, the music, you hear it everywhere, the people, you hear them talking everywhere, the fashion, you see it everywhere. So it's almost impossible not to be engulfed by West Indian culture, being born and raised in New York city. Now, my family is West Indian, uh, and that is highly effective to where it plays a role of uh, how I've gotten into dance so early, because when you're raised in a West Indian household, uh, it, it's like, it's so funny because people ask me this question often, you know, how long have you been dancing, Blacker? You know, it's such a such an often question to ask a dancer, right? And such a generic answer that sounds generic, it's like all my life, right? <laughs> but when you're West Indian, you, you, you literally learn how to move your waistline before you have strength in your legs to walk because one of my earliest memories as a a toddler I would guess you know I remember being a toddler and I remember my family if it wasn't my mom my family members holding my hands up when music is playing in the party they were like yeah he's dancing because I'm whining and I'm moving because I am dancing but I'm just not stepping you know so we actually learn how to dance and move our waistline before we learn how to walk you know I'm pretty sure that's a, a constant story in our culture music and dance is part of being Caribbean. You know, it's in the DNA. But how I got into into it really fully, I would say in 2002, I went to my first dance hall party in Brooklyn, New York City at a venue called the Elite Arc. And uh, my cousins, New Kingston, they're a, a reggae group from Brooklyn. Uh, some are um, fathers from Jamaica. Basically, like they're not my blood cousins, but they're my family because my mother used to babysit them while she was pregnant with me. Their father gave me the name Blacka. <laughs> right. So like literally all my entire life, I was raised with them. And that's also why, you know, with my parents being from Trinidad and my cousins, you know, not by blood, but from birth all my life being from Jamaica, I'm just in these households and just in the mix of all of it. So um, I was at one of their shows and after the show, I stayed for the party. And I remember looking in the club and in the middle of the dance floor, I just see two guys and they're like wearing like similar outfits and they're dancing and doing like the same thing at the same time. And it looks like synchronized swimming on the dance floor like what like what is this you know this is I don't know what it is but I like it (laughs) you know so that was like my first introduction in the dance hall in 2002 being in a dance hall party and seeing actual Jamaican dance hall dancers you know with the fashion and the style of the early 2000s and since then you know I just kept wanting to learn Uh, I asked uh, one of my close friends JC Smooth to show me all the Pasa Pasa DVDs Um, Pasa Pasa was uh, a Jamaican party that would happen every every week you know 
and we would get DVDs and we would watch these DVDs and these dance hall dancers from Jamaica would be larger than life superstars to us in Brooklyn because we're seeing them on the video line and doing these dance moves. So I, I was watching these videos uh, in 2002, 2003, you know, just learning and just practicing and going to the clubs and, you know, to Temptations. This is a club in Brooklyn, New York City, you know, and, and, and all over. I've, I've clubbed and party and traveled all over New York City, every bus and every train through through every type of weather, you know, whether it's snowing, whether it's blizzard, whether it's rain, you got to get to the dance hall because you need to dance because I needed to dance because I love it, you know, because I'm in love with movement. I'm in love with the music. I'm in love with culture. I'm in love with the food. I'm in love with just being engulfed in the environment. So I've spent the past 20 years of my life being engulfed in this environment. In the early 2000s, you know, I would just keep learning, keep going to all of the dance halls throughout every borough in New York City. And I uh, started to do a few music videos. I got booked for my first dance hall party in Virginia in 2007. And that was uh, fire. You know, I'm just like, whoa, somebody's paying me, putting me on a flyer to go do what I would do for free <laughs> at an event. You know what I mean? So that was another step of the way. And then in 2008, I won my first dance competition, the Binghamton Carnival um, Dance Hall King competition. I had about uh, 5,000 um, spectators. From there, I started to compete more and win a few more competitions before I started to go on my first tour. In 2010, uh, I quit my job to go on my first tour with Kali Buds and New Kingston. New Kingston, again, being my cousins and Kali Buds, uh, now my brother, but at, at the time, just the superstar idol that I always loved and always appreciated his music. In high school, always listening to his music on my flip phone and pressing the ringtone up because I didn't have an iPod, so that was my ringtone throughout high school. So I always just, you know, always wanted to meet him. And now in 2010, I was offered the opportunity to tour with New Kingston and Kali Buds. This was 2010. I was working at Columbia University as a doorman, the only breadwinner at the house at the time. My mother was unemployed and I had to make a decision at the time. Do I keep this job that's really well paying or do I quit this job and do I attempt uh, uh, and take a, a chance on my dreams? And it was a really, really tough decision and it was a really fork in the road. But I had to think, how would I feel six 60 years later, maybe amassing a, 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 a good amount of money where I can retire, having a family, you know, being safe, having all the health insurance and all the benefits of being in a union, you know, everything that came in, you know, working at Columbia University. How would I feel then having questions, having regrets? And how would I feel being 60 with answers? Even if I made decisions that was like, damn, that didn't work out. I had answers. And that's what really allowed me to quit my job, although most of the people in my life were kind of like, yo, bro, I don't know. Maybe you can still work at the job and, you know, teach dance classes on days off. But we are so in control of our time, which doesn't exist. We are so in control of our presence. We are so in control of when we are present that it's hard for me to ignore that. And it's hard for me to put myself in a, and keep myself in the position of someone being the custodian of my time, which doesn't exist. It's just so counterproductive of practicality. Do you write poetry at all? I used to when I was younger. You, you know, you're poetic in the way that you answer a lot of things. And even in our conversations outside of this one, it's something that I've picked up on. And along those lines, when you say time doesn't exist, can you unpack that a little bit? Yes, um, because time is but a concept and a construct that if you choose to live within, then you'll be stuck within. And sometimes we, we kind of see those people that kind of feel like they get it all done and they just move through life. It's because the past doesn't exist because it happened already. The future doesn't exist because it didn't happen yet. All we have and all we are is now. And we, li we are living in constant nows. So time is, is our way of trying to calculate the next now that doesn't exist. 
So time doesn't exist, but timing is a thing. <laughs> and what's timing then? <laughs> Patience until your next now. I love it. I think that it ties into mental health and just helping people live their best lives, no matter what their goals and dreams are. But to go back to your dreams for a second, I, I don't want to lose track of some thoughts I had. When you mentioned being in the club for the first time, that first dance party and experiencing that thing that kind of allowed you to be like, yo, what is this? I might be interested in it. How old were you at that point? 12. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad I asked because, you know, people could have been envisioning 16, 22, like who knows, right? So that's cool. So then at 12, you essentially set your sights on that. So you started formally learning dance fairly young, informally really young, like forever, probably in utero. You know, you had a lot of experience, obviously. If somebody was like 25, they saw you dance for the first time at VCon or something and were like, yo, that looks cool. <laughs> You know, they had the same experience, but they're 25. They never learned to move their hips. <laughs> what's that? What's their first steps to learn? Their first step would be body awareness. So before even like just dancing, it's just understanding body awareness. So as a teacher, as a dance instructor, I would just have a, the student move and just understand like, okay, cool. I am in control of how far I extend my shoulder. I am in control of how fast I extend my shoulder. I am in control of how internally deep I go within. So if you're taking your chest and pushing it to your knee, because these actions aren't really necessary in day-to-day -day lifestyle. Many people and most humans don't really explore the depths of their body because they don't have to. So I just present that you can. And as a dance instructor, do you find that some people just can't dance or is that a myth? It's a myth. At least at least it's a myth in my career. In, in my career, I've, I've never come across a student that I felt if we've connected, because there are students that sometimes, you know, they may not just feel the energy of, of the room or maybe the instructor. But after my instruction, no matter how much time it takes, you know, I feel like all of my students have a great understanding of movement better than before. And as an instructor, the point is to give you something more than you had before you walked in, not for you to walk out perfect because perfection is death. Is that one of the main ways that you started monetizing this career? Because I think one of the questions when it comes to dance is a lot of, uh, let's say, guidance counselors or parents for sure. Like you mentioned, your family being like, yo, I'm not too sure about this career path for you, the fork in the road. Um, I think there's a lot of doubters, a lot of haters that turn people away from their dreams. Thinking of dance specifically, what are the ways or like how did you end up being able to be like, yo, maybe I can achieve the ability to pay bills and stuff by doing this too? I definitely want to say like my family, as far as like my mom was super supportive. She told me to go out and definitely like chase my dreams. I started turning dance into career by teaching dance hall workshops in New York City in 2010. I taught my first workshop at FIT in 2010. At that point, I started to realize that people wanted to learn from me. <laughs> that was the number one. So, you know, the monetization, it, was, it wasn't about that at first. It was, oh, people want to learn from me. And then two, how do I monetize this action now? So I started to get into the studios. And at that point, then I started to even build just the business structure of dance. You know, like that first step was the first step for everything else to come along the way. This is an awesome connection because the idea of teaching and education and learning is certainly a big part of what I hope this show helps people with. And going back for your own learning experiences, like what was school like for you? 
I love school. I love school. I was a great learner, fast learner. I was uh, mostly in the put into like the classes ahead of my um, other peers. I loved creating. I was an artist. So before I was dancing in clubs, you know, I was uh, drawing, sketching, painting. I actually went to high school for fine arts. I had to audition to get in there. So I'm also an actual artist as well. But what I loved the most about school was really socializing. It's funny because in school, in all of my yearbooks, I'm the class clown. <laughs> so like in elementary school, middle school and high school, literally, I'm the class clown because now that I'm older, I realized when I was younger, it would be seen as I just wanted to be disruptive. I just wanted attention. Now that I'm older, I realized that I just always loved to put a smile on people's faces. And the quickest way to put a smile on someone's face, as when you're a child, is disrupting the class and making a big joke. So when I was younger, I didn't understand my passion. I felt it and I acted through it. Now that I'm older, I realize it. Which is a really respectable thing to be able to look back and reflect on and learn from and, and speak about because a lot of people don't ever realize it. You're really speaking my language right now because this whole concept, like this whole show, you're almost bringing tears to my eyes because I always say that a lot of the kids that could succeed with entrepreneurship, creativity, and art in any form are the ones that ends, end up in the hall, the ones that end up getting kicked out of school. And that's why a podcast can reach them potentially because they can listen on a bus they can listen at their part-time job, even if they aren't in a formal school because they've had to drop out or they got kicked out, they can still learn. And the crazy thing is, because I do, I spend a lot of time in, in jails, is they're so creative, more creative, uh, better fine artists than I am, probably not better dancers than you. <laughs> they are, they're, they're good. crazy, they're, <laughs> they're good. fire. <laughs> <laughs> they're good, they're good hip hop artists. They got a lot of things going for them and on the entrepreneurial side of things, and they just can't figure out kind of, how to put it into a legitimate career because they've been told so many times that either that's not a career or they just have their confidence so shattered because they were also class clowns that ended up having it escalate to where they were not even in class because they were constantly removed from class. So anyhow, at that time, did you struggle with any of that stuff being the class clown or was it more just that you were getting people laughing and stuff? No, I was definitely disruptive. I was definitely disruptive. I was definitely reprimanded, definitely got got suspended a few times. Definitely bad, you know, for sure. I would never paint a great picture. I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, for sure. Um, I even got kicked out of my art major in my high school in my senior year. So like I went into high school audition for art and I was so disruptive that my art teacher was like, we don't want you in here, bro. <laughs> so it was that crazy. But again, you know, they they all knew that I was, I was uh, intelligent enough to get the work done. And when I would apply myself, uh, I would get the work done. And I was always respectful. Uh, always communicative um, as much as I could be. And I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's got to be so hard for kids to, to cope with and deal with. But I'm glad you had the strategies that allowed you to make it through regardless and still pursue your passions. And so along those lines, they love listening to hip hop. They love music in general. A lot of them grew up on dance and music in their homes and they can write, they can do things, but they don't know how to succeed in terms of like putting together a record or an album and then succeeding as a musician, what would be your tip for those guys? Uh, my tip for those guys would be, I'll just give you a basic structure of um, a music release. So be prepared with your community. Have your community prepared before you release the song. So don't just surprise everyone like, hey, it's out, go stream it. Uh, I would say make sure you're interacting with 
the listeners that you have and the listeners that you want on the platforms that they are already on. So, you know, find yourself there and go to them because you need to give, 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 then ask. Now, after you feel like you've engaged with enough listeners and you feel confident enough and comfortable enough to set forth with releasing music, I would say start working on the artwork. Start working on the single artwork and then start thinking about what sort of visual representation feels the most comfortable for you and the most authentic to you and start working on both of those. Now, you don't have to have everything done because everyone is not in the same position, but I would say everyone needs to have that same mindset of having those things in play at some point in time. If you can have the artwork in the video done as you release the song, then do that because now you want to remember that we want to attack people's senses. And when we attack, it's not in a bad way. We want to, let's say, attract people's senses. So visually, have a nice video. Now, listening, have a nice song. Heart, have a nice feeling and talk about you. Oh, he's such a nice or she's such a nice person. They always comment back. They always respond. They always engage, you know, deep diving into and being off of the stage and in the crowd with your fans. After that, really and truly make sure you're being as authentic to yourself as possible with everything that you do. Even if you have to take time and be patient, be authentic. Cool. I love that. Did you think of doing anything after school in terms of more schooling? Yeah, yeah. So I went to college for one semester. I went to Mohawk Valley Community College in um, upstate New York. While I was there, I didn't enjoy learning. But for me, it just didn't, it just wasn't my path because I guess the questions that I asked, I got answers to. Like even just understanding the difference between like a sorority and a fraternity and like what actually happens. And then like years later, it's really just about knowing people and having connections, you know? So I'm just like, okay, cool. Life is just about networking and meeting people, whether you're in college or whether you're in the workforce whether at home, you just have to meet people. So I spent six months networking and meeting people in college that I needed to to further my career and I loved. Nice. So at that point, you kind of knew for sure that you would end up heading like a creative path or was it still regular nine to five after that? So I, I would say in college, when I left college, yeah, at that point, I'm just like, no, this is what I need to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And that was like fresh after I won my first dance competition as well. You know, so I was still on that momentum of I can get it done. I can get it done. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I love that. And so for other people who maybe want to become full-time artists, but they think it's unrealistic, what would you say to those people? I would say it's as realistic as committed you are to making that reality come true because I've done it. And I know that it takes full commitment. It takes unlearning to relearn. It takes dedication. It takes throwing your ego aside. It takes a lot of balance. It takes a lot of self-checks. You know, it takes it takes a lot. We can name this forever. You know, I'm pretty sure every entrepreneur has their checklist of what it takes. But in all reality, it just takes, do you really want to do it? <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not a lot of, not a lot of things I can say. Do you really want to do it? If you want to do it, you'll get it done, period. Yeah, you'll find ways. No excuses sort of attitude. You will find ways. No excuses, really and truly. You know, there, there, there are many examples of people who have gotten similar things done. So it's, do you really want to do it? Do you really want to change your life? Are you ready to change your life? Are you ready to take your life to the next level? Are you unhappy where you are right now? If you aren't happy where you are right now, then get out of the tub. Don't sit in the tub and have the faucet running and complain about being wet. Turn the faucet off, get out of the tub and get ready to change your life. Dry yourself off. It's really that commitment. You know, you can walk people through the software or you can let them know 
know what it's going to take from them because the truest preparation is reality and transparency. Put some Air Force Ones on and get going. Get going. What's, <laughs> do you have a favorite shoe? Yeah, my shoe. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. And what is your shoe called? Dancers. And if you want to, if you want to get funky with it, you could call it the Dancer Ones, right? <laughs> yeah, I have my own nice. sneaker. Um, I dropped my own sneaker last year, and I actually I'm super excited about it. You know, really excited about that. When I grew up, actually, I grew up never owning a pair of Jordans, but loving Jordan, loving the Bulls, playing NBA Jam, playing basketball every single day and wishing that I had a pair of Jordans and looking at people with a pair of Jordans and just understanding that Ash is lit. <laughs> you know, it's fire. It's like, it, it looked inspiring. You know, like when I play basketball, I would see someone with a pair of Jordans on and I would always feel like they just had a little bit more of an up than me. Like this person's probably quicker or this person, that's why they're so nice. They yeah. got on Jordans. That's why you're so nice. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're like, so, they, they can dunk for sure. Yeah, yeah, you got on Jordans. <laughs> you know, and, and again, you know, going back to mental health, that's just, again, us being in control of our emotions and reassuring ourselves once we put ourselves in a comfortable enough state to grow or a comfortable enough state to receive, to just be happy. That's what inspired me to create my sneaker and the dancers because I want to also give that and provide that for dancers, the kids, dancers, the next generation, dancers of this generation, people who love to move, people who love to just feel feel good you know when you put these on you, you feel like you dance a little better you jump a little higher you know you stick that routine a little harder you know it's it's like just to provide that feeling if if not alone then that's all i need to do you know that's it so i do have my first sneaker out um it's all white with gold because when you wear all white sneakers i grew up in brooklyn new york and we wore white uptowns a lot and when we would wear white sneakers you would just be careful of the way you step a little more because it's white you don't want to mess it up so i created a white sneaker mainly so that you could pay more attention to your footwork because it's all white. So now you'll be paying attention. You'll to step a little lighter because you really do have to be mindful of your, your your foot weight, you know, where you're stepping. So now you're looking down all the time and you understand. It's like, all right, you're keeping the white sneakers clean. You're a dancer. <laughs> and then now, and it has a nice gold strip across. So as you're moving, you still get that shine because we're a star. Yeah, it's nice. I'm going to have to get me one of those pairs someday. Yes, bro. <laughs> and maybe learn to dance. As soon as you put it on, you'll just start dancing. It's crazy. Whole camera crew will pop yeah, yeah. up and everything. <laughs> Just like it's like a dancer in a box. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That we can we can market that in a future business too. For me, growing up, it's interesting. And ones popped off as like a basketball shoe for like six months or something. It was all the the, the craze. That brand was the same kind of thing. Like I'd see people wearing these and ones, being like, "Oh, that's you know, like same kind of appreciation of like, oh, I wish I was wearing those, you know, multicolored and ones because I'd be better at basketball." Yeah, so yeah, I could, yeah. <laughs> I could definitely relate, but it wasn't with Jordan. When it comes to the shoe, though, getting into that thing, just the idea of creating a shoe, was it something that you had always thought of? No, it wasn't, actually. A friend of mine came to me uh, with the, the idea, and I was just like, oh, shit, why not? <laughs> So really, like, I want to definitely big up Sir Epoch. So Sir Epoch is a, is a, a another dancer, artist that came to me and was just like, yo, Blacker, I found a way where, you know, you can probably make your own sneaker. And that's family, you know? So I always have to show respect to the people around me in my circle that present any ideas. You know, uh, always just never any I in team and anytime you spell it forward or backward. 
Yeah, I think that's super cool because a lot of people think of like, oh, I'm going to make merch, so I'm going to make t-shirts come to mind first. We're talking about merchandising and different things, and I don't know if you can see low enough, but I got my Mamba hoodie on 24 over 8. Ah, I see it, 24 over 8. There we go. There we go. Talking about mental health and Mamba mentality and that whole thing is a whole other conversation we could go down. But anyways, the idea of uh, making shoes, though, I still want to wrap up that thought. So that's something that probably not too many people would think of. Like, was it a really difficult process? or what can you explain about the process to making your own shoe? I would say the process for me was really, it took a few days to to really be comfortable with the design. I did go through different colors, different, because my favorite color is like red, right? So I'm like, damn, do I make it all red? But it's not about what my favorite color is. It's about what the intention of the sneaker is. I would say the process for creating your own sneaker or anything merchandise-wise, period, is just, what do you want people to feel from this? That's just the first thing and the repetitive question I kept asking myself. That's where the taste and the touch and the feel come. Do you think it's something you would do more of and continue to do? Or was it kind of like a one-off project? So I have a second line that I dropped in uh, Valentine's Day of last year called the Dance of Ballerinas, and they're all pink. And I'm dropping a third line called the, the Blacks, the Dance of Blacks. And that one is black and gold, and that'll be dropping soon. It's, uh, I look forward to, to seeing that part of the journey. I mean, again, yeah. as creatives, one thing I've learned by meeting so many amazing people with this show is that a lot of us do so many things and, and, and not just as hobbies, like some of them are still multi-monetized things. You know, you got, you got your sneakers and then music's another big thing for you too. Um, you referenced dance and how it was part of your life the whole time. Was that the same with music? So again, my cousins, Lou Kingston, their father, Courtney Panton, he was um, very instrumental in Shaggy's music career. Uh, so in the early 90s, they had a music studio in the basement of my house in Brooklyn. So like artists like Shaggy, reggae artists like Sugar Minot would always come through and I would always hear the music in the studio. Sometimes I'll go downstairs and just see the environment, see the recording, like studio setup. So I've been around music my entire life as far as making it, you know, again, music and dance, it's all part of the West Indian culture. We're singing, we're dancing, we're acting, you know, we're such a theatrical culture that it's so normal for us. Theatrical and dramatic, you were super dramatic. So it's just, I was blessed to be Caribbean. <laughs> yes, for sure. And I don't know if I was cursed to not be, but I love music and I'm appreciative of dance. Dance, but I can't say I love dance because it's just not in my background yet. Yeah, until you uh, put those sneakers on. <laughs> I know, that's exactly it. And then it's game over from there. I'm going to have a fork in the road myself. <laughs> <laughs> so what, when it came to the music part, starting to go into formalizing that too, because you have some of your own music out there, you have some records. I guess, first off, what is the discography? Like, what, what do you have out there in the world in terms of your own music? I have uh, my first album I put out last year on Empire. Son of an Immigrant and debuted top 10 on the iTunes reggae album charts. Uh, right now, the streams are almost at a million. So that's been pushing and moving. And then I dropped my first EP. That's Brooklyn West Indies. That's out right now as well on Empire. I have a digital distribution deal with Empire. And I also own my own record label. And my record label as well has a digital distribution deal with Empire. So that the artists in my music group and my label, uh, our music is digitally distributed with Empire. Uh, that's been for a few years now because of the success of uh, one of my records with Crossfire Clayton William. It's called Bust Down. Uh, this is one of my biggest records. I put out uh, September of 20, I believe it was September of 2020, I believe it should have been, or uh, September of 2020. Yeah. And since then, it's amassed uh, about 40 to 50 million views uh, from the dance challenge because I spent most of my
of my life, again, traveling and teaching dance classes throughout 40 countries and 100 cities. In that time of dancing and teaching, we have, and I have, uh, students and fans, uh, most of the continents around the world. I spent the better half of my life doing that. So when I started releasing music, uh, a lot of my students and a lot of my fans who have taught how to dance or, you know, I've, I've went there and partied with them or we teach together, you know, other teachers, uh, they supported my career because I've, you know, spent my life, you know, traveling and dancing to other, other people's music. So I think that my fans and my students and my supporters, they really saw what I was doing and seeing that, well, this dancer that's made everyone else's music viral and this choreographer that's made every other artist look good on stage and in the music videos is finally putting out his music and it's good. Uh, we put out the dance challenge and my sister Spice, she she started the bust down challenge, taking a bottle of water, balancing it on your head and whining. And that went viral. It went super viral. It was all over TikTok, all over Instagram. And then people just started balancing all types of different objects on their head. I don't know if, if anyone realized that, but there was a point in the two years ago where there was plants on people's heads and cups and everything. And it was just viral dance challenges that all started from our dance challenge, the bust down challenge, which was super cool. That can inspire and keep re-inspiring. As I said in the beginning of this, this interview, it's always bigger than us. It's creating that snowball effect and being committed to creating a snowball effect. <laughs> you know, your hands won't freeze. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe where I'm from. When it comes to uh, the music for a second, because I want to get back to that idea of building a snowball effect, creating for social and building sort of like a, a brand and, and, and really a community around your work. But first, before I forget, like when you made that decision to start making your own music, why do you think that came to you? I have made other artists millions and millions and billions of streams from my dance routines, my dance moves, my dance choreographies. It's all on YouTube. But those streams and that money and that, the royalties, it doesn't come to us as the creators, but the time and the energy that it takes to put into it of the ideation and the creation of that choreography, being committed to the song, listening to the song over and over, whether it takes days or whether it takes weeks. And then now uh, renting a rehearsal studio, uh, finding dancers, paying for that rehearsal, paying to get there, food, water, then paying for a videographer and then paying for outfits. And then, how you know, there's a lot of costs that go into these videos that people might love for free. People reference you in some other podcasts I listened to, you know, in the intro, they're talking about the people that you have danced in videos for and stuff like that. Are, is that what you're referring to? Like some of those bigger artists that you've worked for or just across the board having that experience? As a content creator, as a content creator, we feel that we are monetizing ourselves and we're being self-employed because people are giving us crumbs after they monetize our work. That's what I'm speaking about. I'm speaking about taking the time, the energy, and the investment of creating content and putting it on a platform, hoping that content goes viral that we do not own. And then now we get pennies from it thinking it's monetization and self-employment. But self-employment is when your business is paying you for starting your own business, employing yourself. So I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the smoke and mirrors that most creatives have because of the lack of information and accessibility to the information on how you can better brand yourself. You know, um, that's what I'm speaking about. Speaking about the mindset said that I was in before the mindset I'm in now where I felt that I was being super progressive because I was just being super busy and there's a big difference of being super busy creating 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 and being progressive creating to get to the next level so there are many many mental blocks that stop us as creatives from getting to the next level people on the other side that are booking do know and I'm a creative that understands that so I want to speak directly and attack those things Right. And so just quickly, because I think one of the things that's cool to learn about a bit of the behind the scenes of the the music videos, like in the things that you have done, how does the whole process work for somebody who has no idea how the hell it works? 
For me, normally, um, just because of the time I've spent in the industry, either sometimes the artist will hit me up or the label or the artist's team will hit me up, send me the song and say that the song is coming out. Blacker, can you do something to this? <laughs> and then um, the creative process of choreographing for me, again, just playing the song over and over, committing to it, you know, finding things in the song to fall in love with, you know, things that I can resonate with, whether it's the lyrics or whether it's the production and then personifying it through dance moves. In most of those cases, do you create as a solo in those videos or are you choreographing for others as well? It depends on the job. I do all. I can be a solo dancer, freestyle dancer. I might be the choreographer not dancing at all. I might be the choreographer dancing and doing the choreography. I might not even be on set and just hire the dancers to be on set or just hire the dancers to be on tour. Cool. When it comes to your current, I guess, like routine, whether it's daily routine or weekly, like, do you have it where you practice a certain amount in the studio still? Or like, do you just, are you, you strong enough that you just go when you're, you're called to set or like, what, what is your sort of like lifestyle around all of your business and dance and music and everything look like? Right now. And for the past eight months, my lifestyle around all my music and dance has dramatically shifted just because I haven't been performing. I haven't been dancing or teaching because I'm healing from a concussion. Uh, I had a concussion in October. I've been home with family and friends, you know, doing my best and their best to take care of me. Um, but as far as like being out there, this is the first visual that anyone's seeing of me, or you're seeing of me, or even audio in eight months, um, really and truly, because I'm still suffering from the migraines. I still get migraines. It's still hard to listen to loud music. It'll hurt my head. I can't really, really be around like bright, bright, bright light. Uh, whether it's the sunlight is too bright or if it's a video light, it'll hurt my head. If I get overexhausted or overexert myself. So I'm still in that process of recovering. I'm sorry to hear about that. I mean, I read a bit about it and know a little bit about having had the accident. You know, you can never fully relate to somebody else going through a tough time, but I, I played college football. It's a slight regret I have because of the amount of concussions that I had. And one particular year, I had a, a really bad post-concussion time. How do you find the healing process? Is it coming along? It is. It's coming along. The first few months were the worst. It was actually horrible. <laughs> Just migraines for absolutely no reason at all. Like thinking would hurt your head and feel like it's swelling from the inside out. And now it's, I have a, a, a longer limit before uh, my head hurts again, you know? So it's definitely getting better and I have a great update. But when I went to VCon, which is amazing about VCon, VCon was such a magical experience in so many ways, way more than one. But one of the m most amazing experiences is I met someone, her name is Valentina Khan. And I told her about what I'm going through. And she said that she knew a neurologist that might possibly be able to help me. She gave me the phone number and I called them and they said that they would be willing to treat me and take payment after the court cases, which has been the blockage in me getting a therapist for the past eight months because I couldn't find a therapist to accept taking care of me and my, my head condition and then accept payment after the case. So I called this neurologist last week and they said, yes, I called my lawyers and my first session is scheduled on June 9th. So for the first time in eight months, I'm finally going to start therapy. So it's really exciting. That's beautiful. That part makes me happy for sure, because I'm really excited and looking forward to all the things that you do get up to in the future. I guess life helps us pivot so you could just make some more shoes if need be. But getting back into music and back into dance would be pretty special for me to witness as a new fan of yours. Anyhow, thank you. 
Yeah, of course. A a question that I often ask people is like, we've heard a lot about what you've done to this point, but where are you headed moving forward? And that was such a stressful, challenging, traumatic life event is kind of hard to answer. But do you have thoughts about what you would hope to do in the future? Uh, Yeah, Uh, I only hope to do what I was doing before bigger and better. What you want to jump really, really high? What do you do? Put on Jordans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is the first step. The first step is to put on Jordans. Or or dances. Or dances. And the second step is to get really, really low. That's just life. If you want to jump the highest, you actually have to go to your lowest. I just had more time to think. More time to plan, more time to understand, more time to structure, more time to explore, more time to educate myself, more time to have more tools. And what's super interesting is even how we met is because of the past eight months of me not being active in the entertainment industry and my migraines would hurt so much that Instagram, FaceTime hurt my eyes, everything hurt my eyes. So especially Instagram videos and photos would hurt my eyes and it would give me migraines and it still does. So I'm not on Instagram still right now. I can't stay on it too long at all. So I just try to stay off of it as much as possible. I had to go to Twitter. I still needed to connect as a human being, still needed to, you know, be connected with the world. And on Twitter, the interface of Twitter is way easier on the eyes because it's singular lines, like you're reading lines on a book. So I spent eight months on Twitter because it was easier on my eyes, getting deeper and deeper into the NFT world. So what's been next for me has been the integration of the blockchain into my business and into my mindset. We've created a company, my business partner and I, his name is Faraday. Uh, our company is called NPC. It's a double entendre you know uh, when you play video games the NPC is the non-playable character you know you can't really play with that character or control that character but you go for them go to them for the directions or for advice you know what I mean same concept in the NFT world NPC the double entendre would stand for NFT production and consulting in the past eight months since we've created that business we've been focusing on onboarding businesses or individuals who just want to try to figure it out and do it the right way and we have we've onboarded a smoke shop uh, West Hollywood Santa Monica smokes fully uh consulted created the artwork the collection project managed and it's out and it's beautiful and connected you know he, he he's on web3 you know one thing that i've learned a lot in the nft space is don't do anything that you can't do without nfts with nfts be as practical as possible it's not supposed to make the impossible possible it's not a magic book it's supposed to allow you to scale what you've been doing before that's a little bit of what we do building practical projects and understanding that coming from from my 20 years of building my own brand and building other like-minded brands, traveling the world, meeting humans, loving humans, knowing how to interact with humans, building communities, managing communities, being signed to Red Bull. So having that Red Bull corporate experience of social media management and social media training, we wanted to provide this solution, practicality. Our next step is our current collection right now. It's called NF Tampons, non-fungible tampons. And that collection is, you know, starting the conversation and raising awareness uh, about period poverty and period poverty for those who may not know, because I know I just learned, you know, while working on this collection, so it's okay if you don't know. But period poverty, if you think about this idea that women have periods, menstruators have periods, and periods need period products. And period products cost money. And that doesn't mean that you just have money every time you naturally have a cycle. And as a male, that's not part of my human experience. If I had to think that I had a natural bill, like a phone bill for my body every single month, you know, it'd kind of feel weird. You know, so Faraday, uh, my partner, he created the collection. He created the artwork, founded the collection. I'm the director of marketing. And this is an idea which is 
providing a solution to another human being and understanding that there are millions of human beings that have a human experience that we don't even know about. So let's talk about it all out and allow the people who have those experiences to really bring the conversation there. So we've collaborated with the number one period poverty fighting organization in the world. They're called Period Org. I reached out to them after we minted our collection on Mother's Day weekend. I showed them what we've done. They responded to us and we're now fully partnered until Women's History Month next year. So we're fully partnered until at least March of 2023. They love everything that we are doing. They love the artwork and they are fully associating their brand with our NFT collection as well as we we have not just onboarded them to NFTs, but we have also fully onboarded them to Web3 because they will now be accepting our donations as crypto donations. So now a nonprofit organization will now be accepting their crypto donations. And we've had the conversations with them so they can run it by their lawyers and run it by their team because they are a working nonprofit that is working with other nonprofits to solve issues globally. So we want to make sure that the solution makes sense. Uh, so that's what we're working with now. Just practical projects that can provide solutions. I think that's what the blockchain or I know that's what the blockchain is for. Providing solutions through scalability, integrity, and having those values and never forgetting that being transparent. Is everything perfect right now? No. And that's not the point. The point is being here, doing it correctly and adjusting up. I, on a recent episode, went through the definition of NFT and the really beginner stuff with Jenny from the blockchain. So I won't go into that kind of like, well, what is the blockchain? What are NFTs, et cetera? Um, We can kind of put that to the side for now. But I have to ask, when it comes to the NF Tampons project, which I have written on three of my shirts from the weekend, (laughs) you guys are are good marketers and branders for sure. You know how to to get the word out there. But one thing that would happen when y'all would walk away and then some else would be there, especially women, they would ask like, what the hell is this? And I know that you guys faced some of that on Twitter too. People have been like, what is this? Like, is this real? Like, that's like a weird name, this and that. They just don't know yet. But I have to ask what they were asking too. Like, what made you want to go into that specifically? Specifically, Farini being the artist for the collection, he was having a conversation with the black women in his life, you know, the people around us, the people that have these human experiences. And through their stories and through their experiences, he had the idea that, wait, I can do something about this in this realm. These are people that I love, I care about, and they're going through this. And I didn't even know. I didn't even know my whole life. And that inspired me. After understanding what period poverty was, I started to ask the women in my life as well. Ask them, is this something that you went through, mom? And my mom is like, yeah, of course. Like the constant yes, like the absolute yes. It's like, whoa. They're talking to my friends about it. And they're like, yeah, you know, like sometimes tampons are made out of cardboard. And that idea is just like, wait, what? That's the thing? Sometimes you can you can get toxic shock syndrome and so many other, so many other things that can be avoided by sparking a conversation. And that's why I feel comfortable as a male because yeah, it is contradicting because it's not my human experience at all. It's about period poverty. And on the collection, if you don't want to have anything to do with NFTs, you can donate directly to the organization. Again, it's about the conversation, what's actually happening and not who's saying it. I'm not a woman and I'm not a menstruator but I'm a human being and I'm aware that another human being has an experience that I can help out even if it's just tweeting it one time even even if it's attaching my brand to a collection and saying yo yo bro did you know that tampons are made out of cardboard having that conversation with the guys in my life 
That's good. It's um, right at the beginning of the episode, we talked about values and mission statement. And I think you sharing this story and how that project came to be, because I was really interested and we never really got to touch on the details like that at VCon really says a lot about your character. I think a lot of people would, I mean, never even end up learning about the story. And once they learn about it, not being interested. And even if they were interested, not having the confidence to talk about it aloud. And then even if they did talk about it aloud, not being like, yo, I can actually formalize how I can make an effort to help in this. So it's pretty special that you're doing that. I want to give you your flowers that way for sure. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure it's only the beginning with that idea of practical, charitable, nonprofit or for-profit, giving to charity, et cetera. But either way, having a cause in projects, what are some other things that you, if you did the next one or a couple others that come to mind for a cause, what are some other causes that are important to you? Jamaica. <laughs> dance hall. I've been running a charity, in, uh, a children's charity in Jamaica for the past six years. It's called the Little Dancer Program. I founded that charity when I got signed to Red Bull in 2016. Since then, I've been funding about 50 kids dancing in the St. Martin de Porres Basic School. This is in um, Gordontown, St. Andrew, Jamaica. It's turned into a community program because a few different schools came down to the community center. Also, I sponsored with the shirts, so they have their little dancer shirts. I brought Red Bull to the program to meet the kids, uh, also to shoot a documentary, which is online and on their website, as well as I brought dance hall artists, um, I brought Mr. Vegas to meet the kids, as well as local dance hall dancers. The whole premise of that, again, is dance hall is from Jamaica, period, right? In my experience operating, most of the dancers in Jamaica have the hardest time monetizing themselves in Jamaica, have to figure out how to get out of Jamaica, whether it's a visa, you have to get married, or whether, you know, you have to get sponsored, or whether you have to pray. You have to leave the place where the source is to monetize. That makes zero sense to me. And it's been years on years on years where that's been a play of our cultures being dissected, taken, exported, opening up restaurants and selling when the, the people there, the creators there, the chefs there, the cooks there, the builders there are trying to figure out how to get by day to day. If I want to give back in the deepest way possible, it would be planting seeds in the soil. And for me, children of the culture would be seeds of the soil, which is the reason why I created the Little Dancer program to allow children to have the highest accessibility at the youngest age so that they can grow with their culture truly, as well as allowing the local dancehall dancers the opportunity to be employed in their hometowns, in their countries, in their island, rather than having to go all across the world. It's insane. If pasta comes from Italy, Italian chefs should be making the most money. And that's just the basic concept. Dancehall comes to Jamaica, so Jamaican artists and Jamaican dancers should have some sort of platform. I believe that's my responsibility of being of the culture, especially if I have a platform. You know, I'd hope uh, many other people who have platforms can take Take those same responsibilities and accountabilities so that we can all grow together, as well as another reason why I created the program to also show people with more of a platform than me that it's possible, you know, to help out and to give back as well. So can we all please try to figure out, even if it's the thought, to spark a thought and allowing the dancers really, again, to make money in Jamaica. <laughs> Boom. That's awesome. You're really strong with marketing and branding. Like you mentioned, signing with Red Bull and all the experience that you've had. What I like to do with these episodes is create a little blog post that says Laka's top seven tips to marketing or to business or whatever. So for me, I think the topic of marketing, if you wrote that book and you had to make a few chapters, you know, what is your top X number of things to building a brand community and marketing? Identifying your brand tones and when you need to speak in those tones. Comedic, serious, sympathetic, 
teaching is to really identifying the language and the tone. So that would be my first tip. What do you sound like? Because again, the brand is the person. You are your brand. So what do you sound like? And how would I like people to receive me? Of uh, The second tip that I would say, why? <laughs> what is your why? Figuring out your why. I don't say second. These tips aren't in order of importance. It's in the order that I'm, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> why should I pay attention to your brand? And what value does your brand add into my life? That's what I think of as a consumer. So now you as a brand, you would be thinking about what value does my brand add to my listeners or to my fans or to my audience or to my community? Third tip that I would say with marketing and branding, I would actually say, because there are many people that don't feel comfortable with engaging on social media platforms, I would think about it in this way. When you have a product, let's say you have detergent, you see tied in every grocery store. So think of your brand as a product in a grocery store, and you'd want your product to be on the shelves of every grocery store. Think of it less as, I want to be my introverted self, and I don't really want to speak to people. Think of it more as, I am a brand providing a product and a service. I am not a product or a service. Providing a product and the service and I would like this product and service to be in all the supermarkets. <laughs> That's good. That's huge. So we started off with brand language. We started off with the why. Now we're into branding and marketing. So where you should place your brand, where you should place yourself. And honestly, the last tip would be remember that everything happens through you. So being your authentic self isn't putting a coat on and off. It's not something that you remember to do. It's something that you always are. That's always happening through you. And that's an easy mindset to forget. It's times that we can feel we can feel lazy in being our authentic self because no one's looking. But the only person that's affected by your authentic self the most is you. Now you can't operate at your best and you can't give what you really want. Then you can't receive what you really want. So as a brand, again, because when it comes to marketing, you're going to think about trends. You're going to think about what people want, supply and demand. But authenticity is not trending. That's not something that changes. So I'm like, okay, cool. It changes with the trend. Authenticity does not change with the trend. You are who you are and you speak from your brand language and the tone of how you feel in that mood of the trend. How does this trend make me feel authentically? How does this trend make me feel like acting authentically? So again, authenticity. From those really, I, you know, you add things along the way. I would not say I'm a brand expert or a marketing expert. I just know what I know from what I've done for myself. Well, and one of those things you've done that I think you've taken all of that and built pretty large social followers. Following, you're showing up in a lot of supermarkets. Yeah. So <laughs> what's the key to growing on social? That's the thing everybody wants, right? How do I grow on social? Yeah, consistency. That's the key. That, that's what everybody doesn't want to do. And that's that's the mic drop moment. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, so that that's awesome. I appreciate it. And so I have a few rapid fire questions that'll wrap us up here. If you left one piece of advice for the next generation, what would it be? I want you to be twice as better as me. You want them to be twice as better as you, is that what you said? And more. Yes, that's the, that's the whole point. I love it. That's solid. One thing that you yourself are learning. Huh. I'm learning how to accept love. That's awesome. I spent my life giving it. I mean, I, again, we could talk for an hour on that topic, but I mean, I, I appreciate that. I'm sure there's many ways that you're learning that, but what would be one of the ways that you're learning that? Uh, I would say by allowing people to help me and instead of putting my position, putting myself in a position of feeling I always just only need to help people. Well, again, circling back those values earlier, that's something that you are clearly really strong at is helping others. And I do hope that you continue to succeed in getting your needs met and, and feeling love for sure, as well as best as I can send across from Ottawa to Los Angeles. I'm sending love and uh, I hope to be able to help you and, and pay this back because this has been an mm -hmm. awesome episode. So I appreciate your, your giving in this case, but hopefully it's also going to be reciprocated too. Thank you. And so if you were to ask me a question, what would be a question that you would be curious and 
ask me. What makes you keep going every day? I love that these questions are always so different. It's like sometimes they're super deep and someone's like, what's your favorite color? <laughs> this one runs pretty deep. I've had my why intact since the day that I heard Simon Sinek use that term, which for me, that was the first time I had heard that term of finding your why. I, I, I knew it immediately. I could verbalize it and it was to help youth, but everybody at scale improve their mental health by helping more and more people learn how to pursue their passions. Because I feel when you spend the majority of your time in that world, then you're going to be more mentally healthy. And that's why I focus on helping people with creative confidence, entrepreneurship, etc. To me, the big purpose and that underlying mission, like you said, is bigger than us, is to just improve the arc of youth mental health at least a little bit in the time that I have here. And then there's so many tentacles off of that. I've lost my two of my brothers in the last two years. Oh, my condolences. Appreciate that. Yeah, my parents had three boys and there's one left. They were both younger than me. So, you wow. know, and, and I work in jails. I see a lot of murders. I see a lot of drugs. I see a lot of overdose. I see a lot of different, really deep struggles. I grew up in a funeral home. Like there's all these things mm. that allow this idea that you know life is short. And so why not live it with a purpose each day? It's very intrinsic. I've never had to like read a book and trick myself or learn how to do that. It's just kind of, I guess, naturally how I operate. And so, uh, there's no giving up when it comes to like this podcast and really continuing to soldier on because that's the goal. I'll add one last thing. And it's that when I was um, in high school, a, a psychologist said to me, where do you not feel panic and anxiety? Because I had a lot of panic and anxiety when I was young. And I was like on the football field. And he was like, look, he's like, here's the prescription that you need beyond any medication for depression and anxiety. It's like try and spend 16 hours a day playing football. He's like, it's just as simple as that for now. That's going to be our early plan is like spend as much time as you can on the football field. And it's like, it just makes sense, right? That's where I felt very at peace or whatever you want to call it. And it was in situations like school or work or trying to sleep where it's just having tons of panic attacks. But playing football just didn't happen. Just super engaged in my passion. And so for me, it's it's trying to help more and more people tap into whatever that is for them in that season of their life. So I appreciate you asking. I love that answer. Thank you. And thank you. Yeah, for sure. So how and why would people want to find you online? You can find me online on Twitter, where I am mostly. I'm not on Instagram a lot, but you can follow me there too, because I'll get back there soon. Um, Black and a Dancer, B-L-A-C-K-A-D-I-D-A-N-C-A is my Twitter. Uh, my Instagram is B-L-A-C-K-A, just Blacka. YouTube, where you can watch my dance videos and music videos, tours around the world, a few documentaries and a few clips and vlogs um, for the past 12 years would be Black and a Dancer, B-L-A-C-K-A-D-I-D-A-N-C-A. I-D-A-N-C-A. And why would you follow me? You would follow me because you enjoyed listening to this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. I love it. Appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know that thinking of video and, and my passion for it, I can't wait to share the VCon video with you. But I was going to say, we're going to collaborate on a video someday in our future, yes. which would be a lot of fun. And, and we'll create that way to look forward to. Maybe that's how I'll be able to give back to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you wanting to wanting to interview me taking the time to listen so i'm committed appreciate it thank you brother <laughs> bless one love one love and scene thank you bro this was fun what a fire episode that was thank you so much for listening thank you to those of you who pass it on to others or screenshot and share it with us thank you to our guest blacka what an incredible leader and mentor in the space of social media art and dance 
It's our goal to have this help millions of people around the world, so please do subscribe, leave reviews, and it would mean the world if you share it with others. Until the next episode, all the best, and remember, just keep learning.